Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, the 2020 Tour de France turned out to be one of the best in living memory. Unpredictable from stage one, well, to stage 21 with attacking, audacious riding and surprises round a majority of corners. And every day on the road, you could see the changing of the guard, a new generation of young riders coming to the front in the mountains, in the sprint finishes and on the podiums. So as the dust settles from three and a half thousand kilometres of racing, we'll be talking through some of the highlights and the lessons. And we'll also be focusing on some of the highlights of the latest edition of Ruler magazine, 20.6, still available on subscription, but only if you're quick. This is Ruler Conversations, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance, powered by the community. So after all the uncertainty, the Tour de France was a cracker. Here to discuss it are executive editor Ian Cleverly and Daniel Stewart, who's written a fascinating article in The Current Rouleur about his short but intense career in the pro peloton. Now, Ian, first of all, it was a great race, wasn't it? It certainly was. I mean, I, I, um, I tweeted halfway through the mountain time trial um, that, uh, yeah, mountain time trial, it's just like a time trial, but slower because I was just kind of like drifting off. And then um, everything happened. Yeah, and then everything happened, and uh, what we witnessed was pretty extraordinary stuff. But I mean, I just, I just enjoyed kind of every stage. Really, I can't. There must have been one or two stages that where that I didn't find where there was something really interesting going on, um, some great dynamic, some brilliant young rider doing something extraordinary. Mark Hershey, I thought, was fantastic. So many good. Good things to take away from it. Really enjoyable. And the uh, masks and the lack of crowds and all the other stuff didn't really uh, seem to make much of an impact, did they? No, but, you know, I I was quite conflicted on that because I I was really surprised that they actually allowed so many people to be by the side of the road. I don't know if got away with it is, is the right words to use in this in this instance but it kind of it seems that they got away with it we'll probably see in a month or so won't we but um, uh, there was always uncertainty about whether the tour went ahead and every day there was some sort of speculation about whether they'd reach Paris but do you think that changed the way that the teams and the riders approached it oh yeah yeah maybe maybe but I you know I don't know if it was just that the route kind of lent itself to that kind of approach anyway there's so many kind of lumpy bumpy stages as opposed to you know, flat stages or mountain stages. But uh, yeah, yeah, you may have a point. No, I mean, the way Sunweb raced it was just fantastic. 
they were an absolute revelation. Really enjoyed that. Now, Daniel Stewart, um, I presume you know Sam Bennett or have raced against him in the past. Yeah, I, I knew of him. We never really lived together or anything, and we sort of bumped into each other, you know, representing Ireland and stuff. But yeah, definitely... I knew him and um, his step parents or godparents, sorry, um, live in Belgium, and they actually allowed me to stay in their house from time to time when I was racing in Belgium. So yes, I've 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 definitely been a big Sam Bennett fan for a while. I suppose the tour is just amazing to see that. I think he really deserves that jersey, and I think just uh, being within the Irish press and just seeing how he's becoming a household name just puts you know goosebumps in my arms so I don't know what it's gonna what it what it means for him but just to see you know when, when I was growing up what Sean Kelly is that's what Sam Bennett is now to the younger generations growing up in Ireland so yeah I think that's it's it's amazing but so so well deserved one of the things he has said is that he hopes it does kind of inspire another generation in the way that Stephen Roche and Sean Kelly did. Um, but there is a new generation, isn't there? Because the likes of Eddie Dunbar and Ryan Mullen are, are, are doing really well. And, and you know both of them as well, don't you? You race with both of them. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would, I would know them a good bit better there. I think Eddie's one year younger than me and Mullen's the same age as me. I think what's amazing about that group of riders is that, in my opinion, they've, they've done it all on their own. You know, they, they've just been fantastic talents from the get-go. You know, when I was racing with them, I remember Mullen turning up at my first race and just him destroying everyone. It was a criterium and he just lapped the whole field. It is amazing to have that Irish talent. But I think what, what personally I hope with Bennett's success is that you know, Cycling Ireland are able to get a support to, you know, get a velodrome in Ireland. Like if you think of Martin Irvine, he's a track world champion and he was able to do that without a velodrome being in Ireland. You know, we've we've managed to achieve so much without the facilities. So hopefully this is, you know, the facilitator to get the likes of, you know, a proper velodrome in to, you know, proper funding, uh, a talent team that can rival the likes of Team GB in the past. And, you know, that's that's what I would love to see in the next, you know, five, ten years off the back of this massive success for Sam. Because there are outdoor velodromes in the north and the south, but but no indoor velodrome anywhere on the island of Ireland, are they? Yeah, so we've got Orangefield up north in Belfast, actually like five minute walk from the, the school I used to go to. But it needs uh, a new surface. Um, it's not it wouldn't be like the Hearn Hill velodrome, which is, you know, a lot smoother it's it's very rough and i i know it's significantly more expensive to resurface a, a track over you know just a normal road um, and then you've got sun drive in dublin which is a lot better but again you know it is outdoor and you're restricted when it's when it start raining and you know we'll address the elephant in the room we're not we're not in marbella we're in you know city side in dublin so you know rain is a, a factor so you know I, i've I, I was, you know, training with the track team in Mallorca when I was cycling. We would go to Palma Veldrum and we would, you know, train in the morning on the road and then go to the, in the afternoon, go to the track. And then, you know, when we finish up at like six or seven in the evening, you would have, you know, 30 to 50 uh, Spanish kids who are like five to eight years old. And they're going up on a velodrome, which is, you know, just going around it. And, you know, they're skidding about on it. And just the control and the confidence they had was like 
over and above what we had and we were like trying to train for the team pursuit so if we were able to replicate that um in ireland not only is it going to make like just another thing for like the youth of ireland to do and form their life around and it's going to you know bring sport and success as well so turning to your article in uh, ruler 20.6 which is a a great article and beautifully illustrated as well and how does a kid from east belfast end up wanting to be a pro racing cyclist good question i mean that's probably a motivator of um what made me write it because i don't really know still now I, i don't know i think from a young age i always wanted to do something um different and i wanted to you know, it's probably like a factor of wanting to always be in control, but I wanted to have full control of my life. And, you know, my mom and dad, they've done very well for themselves in, you know, they both came from working class backgrounds and they've, they've worked their way up to provide me and my older brother, you know, a middle class background. Um, but, you know, growing up, I was sort of looking at them and thinking, you know, they've got boring office jobs. I don't want the boring office job. I love sport. My dad was always into sport and into motorbikes. And my mom was very committed in not getting me on a motorbike. So I suppose cycling became the safer option in her eyes. That's sort of what progressed me onto it. Then I suppose when I was, you know, 15 or 16, um, I was still playing rugby in school. And then I decided, you know, not to, as people started going to the gym and getting a bit bigger up top. And that's when I made the decision, you know, I, I want to I want to do cycling and I, th- I think I tap into that in the piece you know that uh, trip to the Northern Irish Championships like that is just an iconic moment in my life that that happened where I was like I don't want to you know just make up the numbers here I want to be the best at this and I think that's where you know that sort of passion was born to try and try and achieve that and then as as that sort of happened, you know, loads of other factors of, you know, just being a teenager and being, you know, an outcast and, you know, trying to be a cyclist while everyone else is playing rugby or football and stuff like that sort of factored in and then not really getting along with teachers and stuff. So when I got to like my A-levels and really wasn't sure about going to university at all, I was like, well, the thing I'm absolutely sure about is that I love to ride my bike. So why not just do that, you know? keep it simple and see what happens and you did the sort of traditional thing didn't you that you raced in belgium and then eventually raced in france yeah so um where i'm from in belfast there's a guy called danny blondel he's originally from belgium but he lives in northern ireland now and he set up a foundation called the belgian project of getting northern irish riders into belgium and just racing there and that's where i met sabine and rick sam's godpants and they're able to bring me into their house, you know, um, I give them a little bit of money, not a lot at all for what they did for me. And they would bring me to all the races, you know, which are every day, feed me, give me a place to sleep. And then I was doing that, you know, during my summer holidays. And then as I got older, um, I started going there more regularly when I should be revising for exams. I got the bug there and that's what, you know, kept me in Belgium. But Belgium is very flat. It's very... It's extremely hard racing, but it's for, you know, it's for sprinters, it's for classic riders, unless you're in the the Ardennes or something like that. Um, so I thought, you know, I need to get myself to France and see see what it's like there. And obviously I explain that in the piece um, of how, you know, that sort of racing suited, you know, my type of riding a lot better. And, you know, that that's what led me there. And, you know, I got, you know, a little bit of success. I did quite well, you know, a couple of races 
um, which eventually led me to Ampost Chain Reaction. And from what you write about those early days, I mean, it, it's relatively recent, but it still sounds like the sort of stories that Stephen Roche and Sean Kelly would be telling about their early days on the continent. Not much has changed, has there, as, as a sort of way in? From an Irish perspective, yeah, for sure. And I think, I think you know, that's what I was sort of trying to say about, you know, Mullen, Dunbar and Bennett. They've went a similar route to me. They've done it all themselves. Um, which I think is a fantastic acumen to them. But I think if if we could get to a position where, you know, you don't have to do that yourself, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Cycling Ireland are backing you. and You've got some sort of academy or... Yeah, some sort of some sort of camp. I know, you know, when I was cycling, Cycling Australia had their camp in Italy. I know Team GB, they've got a camp in New York, I think, and I'm sure they've got other ones. If, if Cycling Ireland were to have a proper one like that, I think it would mean so much because, you know, although that was, you know, it's an amazing adventure for me, looking back, the amount of pressure I was putting myself under because I was so responsible for every single part of my life as like a, you know, just a kid, really. I think it would just, you know, you get a lot more um, people who, you know, don't do what I did and, you know, just quit. You, you know, if, if you alleviate that pressure from the rider, you know, they're going to perform better. And without wanting to spoil the article, why did you give up? Again, good question. Who really knows? Um, I don't know. Again, I think it's just if you were to know me, I'm probably a, a pretty bossy person. I suppose that comes from wanting to be, uh, again, you know, totally in control. So I think what was happening as I got more into the pro style of racing I realized that I wouldn't be in control and, you know, that wasn't going to change anytime soon. That's probably a fundamental reason. And it's the same with any continental rider, really. I wasn't really getting paid a lot. My dad was really great and supported me in any way he could. But, you know, I, I felt so much pressure to try and support myself and I just felt I wasn't, you know, getting that. It's not a regret to me. You know, I think it was such an amazing experience and to make it as a pro and maybe for it not to work out has been an amazing preparation for my life and has made me the person I am today. But yeah, definitely read the article and find out exactly why. <laughs> and you can read Daniel's article in the current edition of Rouleur. And you'll get it free if you subscribe. Go to the website and use the code MAVERICKS, as in I feel the need for speed. And a subscription is really worthwhile because you get a whole year of brilliant cycling journalism. Uh, but don't take my word for it, though. Listen to the voice of the tour. Now then, here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Ruler magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to ruler.cc. You know it makes sense. That's Ned Bolting, who I think, along with David Miller, had a really good tour in challenging circumstances. You're listening to Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So my name is Oren Peleg, and I'm an investor in Lacquer. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people onto wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis, and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. 
And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model and the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. This is Ruler Conversations. I'm Ian Parkinson, and with me are executive editor Ian Cleverly and writer Daniel Stewart. Um, Ian, also in Ruler 20.6, there's also a lovely photo feature by Paolo Martelli about La Roica, and uh, not just the Italian ones, but all the other ones from the franchise. Um, that's a bit of a departure for Ruler, isn't it? It's a road racing magazine and covering what is basically a very photogenic sportive. Um, it is a bit, yeah. Um, we reached this conclusion like, a couple of months back and and we're always just kind of covering pro bike racing to the exclusion of anything else and um we just feel like we're sort of cutting our nose off to spite our face somewhat so we're just wide widening gently widening our remit and um i mean i've known known paolo for years and he's been photographing the uh Leroyca for for years it's always just extraordinary beautiful work and we just thought you know why not yeah, and I spoke to uh, Paolo about his involvement in La Roca. I started in 2015. So more or less every year I follow around, uh, I think, seven, eight events around the world. Let's suppose seven events each year per five. It's 35, maybe. And we always think of La Roca as being in Tuscany on the Strade Bianchi, but... Um, it's all over the world now, isn't it? Well, the, the original one is, is just one. That is at the beginning of October, and it's in Gaiole. And that's where everything began, like 22 years ago. Then when the big sponsors came in, in, I don't know, maybe five years ago, they wanted to, you know, spread all the, well, the brand and the event around the world. So actually... They wanted one in every continent, I think. That's, that's the goal. And just Australia is missing because Japan is, is in, California. There was one in South America and then South Africa. So just Australia is missing. As a photographer, what's the appeal of Leroica? If I think about uh, a normal race, like pro race, this is quite relaxing for me because I don't have to follow any, there's no winner. Uh, I just decide what to do by, you know, riding the race or with a motorbike. And whenever I see something that I do like, I just stop and wait. There's nothing, it's nothing about, you know, competing and, and winning. So you see people of all kinds just riding because they love it or they used to ride, or they used to be pro. So, But that doesn't matter. They're just there to ride with friends and enjoy. Because actually, landscape in, in the landscape in Tuscany is uh, it's just amazing. So it's, it's a paint. It's, that's not good for me, because it's so easy to do nice pictures. It's harder to do that picture, I think. And it's not just the uh, landscape, though, is it? Because uh, the faces are what make um, many of the pictures in, in Rouleur in particular. Yeah, <laughs> the faces and probably the eyes also. The moments in general. Most of these people, they don't ride during the year. So they're not trained. They decide just to do, on that day, 200Ks. 
So it's it's kind of a hero thing. I mean, it, it's hard. 209Ks with, uh, I don't know, maybe 4,000 meter. When they arrive and the, the, the families, they're waiting for them. It's beautiful. I don't see this that often in, you know, normal races. Now, some of your pictures feature Luciano Berruti, who, who is instantly recognisable, was instantly recognisable. He was very much the face of Leroica, wasn't he? Yeah, but that, that was not prepared. He just loved to ride his old bicycles. Like 20 years ago, he just started to look for uh, this kind of event around Italy, there, there was no one. But then he discovered Eroica and, and he just loved to go there and try to do uh, the big one, the big loop with, with his old bikes because he was so much in love with uh, you know, the, the old cyclist. He was always telling us stories about the first time he saw you know, the, the Giro passing close to, the, to his house and all this you know, colorful peloton with old bikes. So he was always saying, if they did this, well, we can still do this. And instantly he became, yeah, probably the image of Eroica. But at first years, there was no, you know, official photographer. So when I started as official, I think it was a coincidence maybe, but we just got close friends together and we started to travel together and yeah i mean he became the image of Eroica, but he didn't want to yeah he was so recognizable but um i think a lot of people may not know he was actually a very good rider wasn't he oh yeah yeah yeah. i think he won around uh 16 uh, italian cyclocross championship during his life actually his technique was quite good uh, he never rode like um road racing but all mountain bikes and cyclocross it was crazy good actually his skills on on his old bike 1907 i think they were just great with no brakes almost yeah no no brakes and old tires and single gear but he still managed to uh he still managed to ride it didn't he yeah 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 it was impressive. What next, uh, Paolo? When is the next um, Eroica that um, you're going to photograph? Um, I, I imagine the schedule has been disrupted a bit. Yeah, this year it was complicated. So we missed uh, 90% of the Eroicas. We had one in Germany at the end of August. There was no permission for the original Eroica at the beginning of October because too, too many people. You regroup around 30,000 people in a, in a small village, and that's impossible this year. So the, the only one outside of Italy was Germany, and then we had one in Montalcino two weeks ago, around 1,000 people. And then the next one is Nova Eroica at the end of uh, October. And, that, and that's it for 2020. Well, hopefully next uh, year will be better and, uh, and continue to uh, keep taking the pictures and, uh, and, and we'll enjoy them in Rouleur. <laughs> yeah, hope so. Thank you. Paolo Martelli. So uh, the tour's over. The Giro's next, in theory at least, although who knows what, what can happen. Any thoughts about the Giro in the light of the tour? Well, I can say from, from an Irish perspective, um, I don't think we're going to see Eddie Dunbar because he broke his collarbone at uh, Torreno, unfortunately. 
but I don't know. It's it's all coming so thick and fast. So just to like feel like just taking a taking a breath after the end of the tour, uh, putting the next issue to to press on Thursday, and then then I got to start thinking about the the Giro. But uh, I haven't even had a chance to look at it to be honest. It is weird the way the races are all coming, yeah, you know, one after the other. Well, indeed, I mean they, the the Giro and the um, uh, Vuelta overlap, don't they? Um, and then you've got the Worlds as well. It's just like ah, can't keep up. Daniel, what about you? I think it's sort of like a you know, a selfish part of me when they did release the new racing program, I was sort of a little bit excited because I was like, you don't have to wait for anything. It's just, you know, all you can eat, road racing, amazing. But obviously for the riders, it must be, it's going to be hard for the, you know, not this year, but next year, like how, how do you recover after all that? And then, you know, the, the normal cycling season starts in February. So you know, are they expected to, you know, start again in 2021 in February as they normally would? So they're not going to get the same off season and the same prep. But in terms of, you know, how the, the Giro next week, what I really hope to happen is that they can, you know, organize it as well as the, the tour was. You know, obviously we can criticize the tour for certain things about, you know, the amount of crowds in certain sections of it. Um, but I think, you know, they were really committed to being like, um, you know, the coronavirus people need to adapt to it you know this is going to be part of our life for you know a significant amount of time so i'm hoping in italy you know the same thing can occur they don't have to pull the plug on it and um, that's what i'm hoping for and just um you know some if if the tier is anything like the tour i think we're in for you know a really really nice treat well fingers crossed thank you daniel thank you ian on the subject of the young generation of course good to see that south london's own ethan hater got his first pro win the other day in the giro dell'apennino in north italy and that's it from this ruler conversations don't forget to go to the ruler website and subscribe to the magazine seven pounds a month for the best cycling journalism and photography there'll be a long reads podcast next week until then take care Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.